Welcome to Brain Wellness, the podcast. I'm your host, Mandy MP. Each episode will bring you a new topic or interview related to brain health and wellness as part of my mission to help you on the path to a healthier, happier brain. So let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Brain Wellness, the podcast. My guest today is Megan Johnson. Megan is a speech-language pathologist in the acute care setting and has been practicing for four years. Her journey to speech began in undergrad when she Googled what jobs help people every day. She then shadowed a family friend at a small school for children with disabilities and fell in love with speech pathology. The love for learning about the brain led to her undergrad in psychology, then grew in grad school. She quickly learned adults in the medical field were her passion, and that eventually led to where she is now. She enjoys the acute care setting because she gets to see people right away and help with the first steps on their new life journey after brain injury. Being in this setting also challenges her to constantly grow and evolve her knowledge, to be flexible, and to be confident. Thanks for being here, Megan. Thank you. I'm so excited. Like I said, I feel honored that you asked me to be on here. Absolutely. And I do have to tell our listeners that you did change your name um, because you were always my favorite speech therapist um, as Megan favorite, but now you went and got married. So you went to the dark side of Johnson. I know. (laughs) So, so for the better. It is. It is. It's a good reason to change your name, but still, you're still my favorite anyway. Oh, thanks. Um, so, <laughs> so um, on my show, first question I always ask is, "What's your story? Why does brain health interest you?" So we got a little bit in the intro, but let's see what else yeah. we have to add on to it. Yeah. Um, so the brain has always been extremely fascinating to me. I think I took a psychology class in high school because you had to, but it was like, oh, this actually kind of makes sense. Like I, I really like this class. I did really well, and I was went to college, and I was a nursing major, and was like. not really my area so what can I do to really like help people still every day and Mm -hmm. um, be in that more medical setting and I came across speech therapy and I was looking into it and I was like huh and I talked to my parents my dad was like yeah we have a family friend who does this and I was like oh that's cool and she was super sweet and was like come work come to work with me I was like okay and she worked at a super small school for children who have um, more severe disabilities Mm -hmm. and so I went and we spent like half a day just interacting with these uh kids working on AAC devices how to make that connection of like if I push this button they know what I'm saying to them like this button means I want this this button means I want that and just working on those skills and it was so fascinating and amazing to see that I was like I think I need to do this Mm -hmm. so then I changed my major into psychology and then my love of the brain just like exploded because you go to class every day and just nerd out about all the things you were learning about neural connections and how the brain functions and all of these areas of the brain and then I got into grad school and then I was like kids are great but I love adults I Mm -hmm. love strokes and brain injuries and all that so that's kind of where I ended up in the hospitals and it was amazing I went had a lot of good internships all through grad school and then ended up at Mercy Mm -hmm. and it's been such a good journey. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of how I ended up where I am now. Yeah. And Mercy's got to where I got to meet you. So I'm grateful grateful for your road there too. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what was it, what do you think it was about the, the brain injury patients that really got to you? I think especially with adults, it's like 
those those light bulb moments when you can almost see the brain connecting the dots in front of your eyes with those patients where you just give them a cue and then all of a sudden they do it after not being able to do maybe say a word or connect a sentence together or even like remember something for more than 30 seconds and then all of a sudden they're doing it and then they they realize that they're doing it and you're like that was the coolest the coolest yeah. realization and I think just watching the brain respond so quickly in front of your eyes is something that I find so enjoyable and then yeah. the families are there usually and the families are watching it happen and they can learn how to help too and then you're watching this whole big circle of um basically a journey happening in front of your eyes and I just love the brain and how quickly it can catch on and it's fascinating again yeah yeah so that's where that fun term that we all know comes in neuroplasticity where we can create new connections Mm -hmm. um so what what are some of the like the the favorite things that you that you work on to create some of those new connections or some of the creative ways that you've worked on them um so I like a lot of repetition right? I talk to my patients a lot. I, I'm known if you've been in the room when I, <laughs> I don't know if you've been in the room or near the room when I've described the brain recovery as construction on 94 in the summer. <laughs> there's a car accident or there's construction and we have to make a detour, right? Yeah. You can't go through it. So yeah. You got to make a route around it. And so to me, I explain neuroplasticity, like these routes that we have to, we have to start forming them and it's going to take a while, but mm-hmm. how do you create routes? You, rep, you repeat, you practice, you practice and you repeat and you keep going and you keep going. And then when things get easy, then you make it harder again and you keep going. And so when I'm working with my patients, I do a lot of repetition. And then if they're catching on, I switch gears and I'm like, okay, instead of a concrete category for naming, let's do an abstract category for naming. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of five, let's do 10 instead of, um, this task let's do this task you know just to make it more broad so that's yeah. what we do. I do a lot of that with my patients yeah um because yeah. you know sometimes after a brain injury you know some of them our patients are a little bit more impaired and so you just start off with just the simplest like does this item belong in this category or this category versus the actual naming and then eventually they can get to that I don't always get to see that progress happen in the acute care setting but um that's something else I enjoy is the figuring out the detective part of like, where are we, you know, yeah. How, yeah. where would we start? I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And then I do get to fun. see your detective this a lot when you kind of ask me questions. I love it. So. <laughs> I, I'm always looking for information because I don't, I know, I don't know everything. I didn't go to medical school, but the more I know, the more I can help them and yeah. the more I can at least explain the, the connections and like yeah. what I'm doing to what you're doing to what the doctors are doing. Yeah. So yeah. I feel like that's all super valuable. Oh, that's your question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what you do is just an, an integral part of people's healing. Um, mm-hmm. for, for those of our listeners that might not be familiar, can you kind of describe what speech therapy is? I think, sure. I think it's kind of a misnomer I, and I should have started mm-hmm. with that because some people think, oh, it's speech therapy. It's just speech. Yes. But I don't work on ours. More. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not just S's and R's. Yes. <laughs> Usually what my patients say when I walk in the room, speech therapy, I talk just fine. And I'm like, yeah. oh, you're new, but let me show you what else I can do. So speech therapy in the medical setting, I'll phrase yeah. it that way. Generally, I'm working with dysphagia. So the difficulty with swallowing, which can sometimes happen after brain injury. Mm-hmm. Um, communication in all aspects. So whether it's expressive or receptive communication, um, sometimes reading. 
you know, writing if necessary, if it pertains to like understanding the words and the content of the words occupational we'll work on like the motor skills and all that but we work on like the content and understanding the language part of it and the praxia motor speech those um areas and then cognition to a point we work on it as well as long as it's pertaining to the communication aspect so having a conversation can't remember what you're saying we can work on that um can't remember what certain words mean but you know that that's the word you know making those connections you know the brain is fascinating so depending on where the injury happened, there can be all sorts of aspects of your language that get impaired that, you know, might be different from one person to another. So we have to focus on what is impacting you right now and what's the most important goals for us to work on and then kind of go from there. So yeah, Yeah. I would say those are the main areas. We do a lot. We do voice, we do, you know, speech science type breath supports, all of that as well. Imaging, video swell studies, and fiber optic endoscopic evaluations of swelling. So we do a lot. We have like this joke that there's like an umbrella and speech therapy has everything underneath it. Yeah. (laughs) We just have to figure out what our job is for the day. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So to kind of of add on to what you were saying too, with the speech, all of those different areas. Um, So for our listeners, as you kind of think about where your brain is, most people have our speech on the left side of our brain our language on the left side of our brain. When I was teaching nursing school, I would always tell the students it was L for L language is on the left side of your brain, right? For most people. Yeah. Um, some people, if you're left-handed fit, but 50, 50 is on the right side. So it, that language part could be on either side. So we're talking about our brain injuries. It all depends on the location of the injury, what actually gets affected, what real estate, as I call it. So what real estate gets affected when they have that injury. And if it's in that language area, there are so many different things. So if you think kind of right above your ear, that's where our receptive area is. And how I describe that is when people are talking, you can hear them, you can get that information incorrectly, right? Mm -hmm. And toward the front of the brain is our expressive area, as you mentioned, when we are getting our words out. So it's close to your mouth, we're getting those words out. And everything in between there is all our association. So knowing not only what the comb is, but what it does, Mm -hmm. right? So that's a lot of the stuff that, that you're, do, you're working on. And so when I'm telling the patients what you're doing when you're coming in the room, I say that you're doing, your role is everything that has to do with language, whether it's uh, written, spoken, and then the other, other parts of the mouth. All the in between. Between. And yeah. all the in between. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. It's so it's it's super cool. I, think, I didn't know uh, that when I got into it, but I have yeah. learned <laughs> Like yeah. it's, it's never uh, the same day on the job. That's, for oh, sure. <laughs> that's what I love about neurology anyway, because that's never the same day, even with the same patients, that's never the same day. Yeah, that's right. People grow and they expand and they get new, new things that come back to them overnight. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's really it's cool. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so of all of those things that you do, what's your favorite or do you, is it just all your favorite? Oh. No, I have a favorite. I uh-huh. always say it. My, if my coworkers listen to this, they'll probably chuckle because I say my bread and butter <laughs> of speech therapy is aphasia. Mm-hmm. I love treating language in aphasia, especially when it's that like almost pure like broken's aphasia where they are they know what they want to say and they're trying so hard, but that connection is just not there. Those are like I just love it because I can really hone in onto an area and like just repeatedly work with them over and over again and just see the progress and really focus on, you know, what's important to the patient. You get to learn so much about your patients when they have aphasia because you start focusing on what's, what are the key words to you? 
Like, what is something that you want to say that you haven't been able to say? And you get to talk to the family and you get to learn their patients' names, their family members' names, I mean, and, uh, and their kids' names. And then they talk about, like, sometimes your patients just want to be able to say, I love you. And mm-hmm. simple, just, you know, humble words that we don't think about taking for granted. So I just love it. That's what I love to do. I mean, yeah. I like every area, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That one gives me a lot of happiness. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. If I, I think, well, especially now that I, that I run my podcast, if I ever couldn't speak, that would affect my life so much. So just thinking of how that affects our patients when they have physical ailments and they have PTs, OTs, that's a whole different story. They can deal with those oftentimes, but it's the problems when they can't get those words out, they can't speak that can change their livelihood, their, their mm-hmm. relationships with people, if they can't get those words out and they can't find ways to communicate. So mm-hmm. your role is even way more important than mine at that point. Right. Well, and like, we're here talking about brain health, right? And I feel like too, with aphasia, you see a lot more depression, yeah. anxiety, um, misreading of the patient, because sometimes those are the patients that act out a little bit more and get mad. And like, people are like, oh, they're cranky. And I'm like, I don't think they're cranky. I think they're just upset because they can't tell you what they want. And maybe you're not giving them what they need, but you don't know that you're not giving them what they need. And so I feel like me spending more time with those patients is a, is a higher reward for them because they feel understood. Hopefully they feel understood. And I'm trying to help find these avenues for everybody and like educating everybody so that that person feels good. The depression can kind of maybe hopefully take a sidecar and allow them to really focus on recovery versus this sucks. Nobody understands me. I can't do what I want anymore. I'm, I'm going to be stuck like this forever. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of start to spiral. And yeah. that's why I think I like that population as well, because you get to really focus on whole person, not just yeah. like, this is the problem, you know? Yeah. 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 Yep. I agree. Um, and it's really important that we do help try to help their mental status mm-hmm. as well, because there's a lot of research to show that once patients get, uh, once they get in, in poor mental states, once they have depression going on during a brain injury recovery, that injury recovery takes longer and it might not be complete, but uh, yeah. if we can combat that, if we can improve their mental health, get them a little bit more satisfied with what's going on, their recovery will be so much better. So exactly. I appreciate yeah. you take that time with them. Oh, yeah. I would spend all day with those patients. If I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. So it's not easy work, what you do. No. What do you do on a daily basis to take care of your own brain health? Oh, I was thinking about this question because I was like, oh, it's your day off. Yeah. What are you going to do? What are you doing yeah. today? You're so happy. Yeah. Well, I'm a huge proponent of like, this year, 2023, I think I told you this is my year of saying no, because I'm definitely a yes person, pleaser <laughs> of all things. Yeah. And so I said, oh, what are you going to do today to make yourself happy and not necessarily everybody else? And yeah. so we made some muffins this morning because I like to bake and I go for a walk later mm-hmm. um, and then clean a little bit because I feel refreshed when I clean. And I spend a lot of time doing that, those sorts of things on my day off because that's what makes me happy. And then working out and um, spending time with my family and my friends, catching up with my husband, all sorts of things all make me, I think, feel full on the inside, mm-hmm. which is how I stay healthy. I used to have a lot of anxiety. And I, when I look back, I think it was a lot of 
newness and not taking the time to like sit in it and just like figure out why I had anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so going through some therapy and figuring out, like taking a step back and slowing down and being like, it's because you're doing a lot of things that you feel like you have to do. You're not doing anything for yourself, you know? And so that's why I started focusing more on like doing stuff that makes me happy on a daily basis, because that's what's important. Now, granted, I'm not selfish. Like I, I do do stuff for other people, but I feel like taking the time, especially in a caregiver position at work where you're taking care of so many people. And in my role, I always answering the phone and, you know, answering messages and stuff like that too. And so I think taking my days off just to not answer questions and do stuff like that is, is refreshing. It's nice. Yeah. You need that balance, especially for those that work in healthcare. We are the kind of people who just give and give and give and always say yes to other people and always say no to ourselves. So I, these people. yes. Yep. So when you told me that goal, I was actually really proud of you because you need to learn those boundaries mm-hmm. and you need to, it's not selfish to do self-care. And we all, a lot of us get stuck in that rut where we think, oh, it's just, it's selfish to want to take, take that time for me, but it's really not. Um, and I know you guys don't have kids at this point yeah. might at some point. Yeah. And when you do, you want to be able to teach them good behaviors as well and teach them that it's okay to take that time for yourself. My yes. kids know that I need me time just as much as, as they need time away from each other. So mm-hmm. it is yeah. important. It's so important. You see the difference, right? Like you see it with your patients, you see it with us. Yep. If we come back to work and we have not had a good day off. Yeah. I'm fried already. And I yeah. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely yeah 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 it's been a nice journey I I like this side of my my no life yeah (laughs) you know it's a good word (laughs) it is a good word um so I've talked to a lot of other people that are have done their year of yes and done the opposite way so saying yes to things that they would normally say no to to try new Mm -hmm. things and do new Mm -hmm. things but it's when you are in the in the rut of being a people pleaser, you absolutely need to learn to say no to the things that you would always say yes to so mm-hmm. that you can take care of yourself. Yep. So yeah, like I said, I proud of you. Proud of you for doing Thank that. You. Good Thank job. you. <laughs> um, so uh do you have like one or two tips that you would give people for um either taking taking care of their brains or uh mm-hmm. what they could do to advocate for themselves in the hospital? I mean take mm-hmm. any approach you'd like to on that. Yeah. Um, so starting with patients in the hospital, I'm usually a huge advocator for having a notebook. I know some of our families do that. But some of them don't. Right. And I say, write them down, write down the questions, write down everything, because if I can't answer the question for you, somebody else can. Mm-hmm. And I usually try and reach out to those providers and say, Hey, Mandy, like this family has a question. I don't feel I'm the person to answer it. If you have time, can you swing back? Mm-hmm. You know, those sorts of things or get the nurse and say, I don't know who can answer this question, but this is the question they have. These are the concerns they have. So I feel like advocating for your, your significant, uh, significant other or loved one who's the patient, mm-hmm. especially if they can't communicate is important, but also uh, like looking at your patients and looking at your loved one in the hospital and being like, something's not right. Mm-hmm. I don't feel good. You know, I feel this on my head or I feel this pain or this is numb. This is, this is new. I can't say this. I can't do this as the patient advocating, you know, even if it's something little and you're like, I don't want to bother anybody. Mm-hmm. That little something could be something that we want to know about. Yeah. Um, and I feel like just reiterating that to all of my families and my patients saying, it's okay. Just say it. I want to hear it. Even yeah. if it's nothing, somebody will just say, you know, I'm not worried about that right now. But then you feel better, right? 
Maybe yeah. I can set it. I said it out loud. At least I get it off my chest, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important. Um, I also think, I forgot where we were going with this question, Mandy. Remind me. <laughs> <laughs> Tips for people to take care of their brains or in the hospital. Yeah. Advocating. Yeah, um, advocating. And then um, in the hospital, I'm a huge proponent of sleep. <laughs> I am the one who will walk in the room and be like, all right. I'm busy, but you are clearly sleepy. Mm-hmm. We are not going to have a good session because I can see that you need some sleep. Mm-hmm. So you take a half an hour nap and I will come back. And I will tell you nine out of 10 times, if I tell the patient, I'm going to come back later because you need a nap. Mm-hmm. They are like night and day. Yeah. I one time I had a video swell study. I looked at that patient. And I was like, you are not awake. You need to take a nap. And then we will reschedule it for the afternoon. And I did. And it was like night and day, completely different patient. And it's because that brain needs that sleep. And in the hospital, they don't get it because at night you're doing your neural checks every so many hours, you have doors opening and closing. The nurses have to do their job and give medications and check on the patients. And during the day, then you have everybody else there who needs to see the patient. And it's like, these poor people who really need the sleep to recover aren't getting it. So I yeah. think, you know, allowing our family members and the patients to take naps and mm-hmm. encourage like a solid half hour undisturbed time just to like sleep at least is so important and then when they don't need to be neurochecked doing those sleep um sleep zones so that people can really like let the patient just be so that's my other thing is advocate and sleep you can advocate for sleep yeah (laughs) (laughs) i think those are the biggest things is is that because i think that focuses a lot on your mental health and then it then in turn can influence your physical health and we want to push you in the mm-hmm. hospital, but we also need to acknowledge that there are times when sleep is the better option. Cause that's when you yeah. have that neuroplasticity, right? Your sleep yeah. is really when your brain is recovering. So if you need to recover more, mm-hmm. sleep more to a point. Yeah. Yeah. You have to sleep through a therapy session. Very true. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah. sleep is very important. And I, I think that that's something that is important to acknowledge in the hospital. It's okay for the patient to sleep during the day. To yeah. A point. Yeah. We're not yeah. good at that very well. I think Um, we are very focused on the assessments and getting everything else in. And we sometimes forget that they need that time to heal, but absolutely rest and sleep is when our brain heals the best, especially after an injury. So Mm -hmm. yeah, good call on that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm one of those providers who I'll write to for the nurses to, to let, let the patient sleep overnight as long as they're stable and we know that they're okay. Let them sleep. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because that's going to help them so much more. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So switching gears a little bit. Um, you, you've been doing this for how long now? For four years. Four years. Yeah. Four Where years. in those four years, I, I know you've seen some changes because in, in my years, a few more than four, um, I've seen a lot of changes. Where would you, or do you like to see the uh, future of brain health and, and as far mm. as, uh, brain injury recovery and things like that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I want it to be holistic. Mm-hmm. I think we are getting there. I've seen the acknowledgement, especially in the hospital. I don't know outpatient as well, mm-hmm. but I know in the hospitals, I see a lot more of the providers acknowledging that like sleep is important. We can push the patients, but we also have to let them recover on their own. Um, I would love for brain injury recovery to be, 
I, I want to say it like in a in a way that's like gentle, but like yeah. our patients in the hospital with brain injuries are often there from like a motor vehicle accident, um, a fall. They're there because they had a stroke, bleed, you know, those sorts of brain injuries. And I feel like they always end up on a lot of medications too. And I, I don't do research in medication areas, but I do see the effects that like some of my medication, medicated patients are you know not uh with me when I'm with their sessions and and then they're 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 sleeping a lot more in an unhealthy way because they're getting medicated but then I also understand that there's behaviors that come sometimes with these brain injuries and everything yeah. so it would be really nice if there could be a in a some way a shift of how can we tackle these behaviors without the medication that's going to zonk our patients and, and really focus on letting that brain be the way it is so that we can come in and say, yeah. all right, this is how you function with nothing in your system. Mm-hmm. How can I help you? You know, that sort of thing. Um, so that would be nice, but I don't, I don't know how feasible that one is. <laughs> <laughs> I acknowledge that. I try really hard to like, say like, please don't medicate your patient today before I go. I know. <laughs> but, you know, to some extent, if we would let them sleep better, their behaviors might be a little bit better too. Same. Yeah, I know. Same. It's hard in the hospital, right? Because it is. It our is. nurses are only so many people. Yeah, <laughs> so okay. I understand. Um, so I would say holistic, whole person care. I would love if we could give more of the mental health aspect in the hospital too to help with the recovery. Because I think that I take a course when I'm in grad school on counseling, and I know other people do, but I think a lot of the time that's such an important factor to recovery that we don't get to see Mm -hmm. addressed until after discharge. Mm -hmm. And I think that that would be important earlier on. And so I think continuing that obviously in outpatient setting, but I think in the acute care setting, finding a resource for that would be very important because I think a lot of our patients could recover quicker if there was a, a less of a barrier with like depression, anxiety, or even just like that emotional, awareness of like where they're at you know I think that would be so important so I guess going back to holistic that would be my yeah yep yeah Yeah. and again as we mentioned with the the research that they if they have mental health issues that they have depression afterwards it's going to hinder their recovery so um that would be a great thing to get in place early on and I know we're we're always short on mental health providers um that's a big part of it but just even addressing it um, I know sometimes I will uh, talk to my patients about the fact that now that they've had a head, head injury, it's very common to have you know, problems with their mood afterwards, just mm-hmm. letting them know that that's common and that it's not them failing because they have this head injury now, but just knowing that it's common. So even having the discussions that just open the door mm-hmm. to let them know that it's not, it's not strange for them to have problems with their mood. It's not uncommon for them to start crying for no reason because their brain is healing and it's mm-hmm. it's gone through a major trauma whatever the cause mm-hmm. of the trauma was yeah oh and that made me think of something else so I went to a conference in November in Chicago mm-hmm. and one of the courses I took was and I know you just had a speaker on who was talking about gut brain connection mm-hmm. and I had talked to my group my brain injury group committee that I'm a part of about nutrition classes I would love nutrition classes were added as a more feasible option to people because gosh how important I learned so much in that course I took that I didn't realize how much of your biome and your gut affects the chemistry in your brain and Mm -hmm. all of the recovery aspects I was like gosh Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. A nutrition class would be so cool. Mm-hmm. And I think fun and a good therapy tool for a lot of our patients too. Yeah. And their yeah. family members, you know. And so I think that would be another aspect I'd like to see. Yeah. Yeah. Or even yeah. just more education on it, to be honest with you. Because I still think we're as prevalent as brain injuries are. Yeah. People know, but they don't know you know exactly. all the it's like the tip of the iceberg that they know of but they don't see everything underneath that people have yeah. to deal with. oh there's so much more mm-hmm. yeah and mm-hmm. it's the problem with it too is that it's a it's oftentimes an invisible disability then because people can't see that you've had a brain injury unless you have a stroke but now you're not moving one side of your body but yeah. if if it's like a tbi from a car accident or something else there's not a physical sign that there are problems but absolutely, they have emotional issues. They have gut issues. They have mental health issues. It's, yeah, the list goes on and on. It really does. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sad. Mm-hmm. And speech issues is why you come in. So, yes. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> uh, so for any of our listeners who might have questions about um, maybe doing what you do for a living or anything else like that, would you be willing to share any contact information that they can find you? Yeah, for sure. I am not on social media. I know some of your guests have social media. <laughs> I have a Facebook, but it's not very updated. Um, they can email me uh, my first and last name, uh, first and maiden last name, Megan Favorite 47 at gmail.com. Um, yeah, free to answer any questions at all. I love my job and I love what I get to do with people every day. And I think it's amazing if other people can jump on board and do that and actually looking at starting to take students too so there you come cool. to the field and then you want to be in the studies you might have me at supervisor <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah very cool very cool yeah. so i will include that in the show notes then so people know how to contact you if they'd like to find you um, anything else you'd like to leave us with in closing no, this has been super fun. I was really nervous. <laughs> See, I told you it'd be fun. Just I know you did say that. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a good time. So thank you so much. I love what you're doing. Very cool. I love what you do. So yeah, keep doing a good job. Uh, you're amazing with the patients. So I love when you're on. Oh, you are my favorite. It's not a joke. So yeah. that's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to any other speech therapists out there. But yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Megan. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Andy. You as well. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Brain Wellness, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to subscribe, like, and share this with others to help me continue on with my mission to help people live healthier, happier lives. Go to www.brainwellnesssolutions.com to see what I'm up to and get links to all the social medias there. See you next time.